but what you don't recognize is that little things happen every single day and it is not just to black males it is to black females it's to anybody's darker skin what does true wellness mean to you I'm Claudia Cometa, and that is the question I will be leading with in the Minding Wellness podcast. Each and every week, I will bring you experts who will share their personal wellness journeys and their insights into what it means to mind our wellness. Health is a state of body. Wellness is a state of being. Let's dive into improving our state of being. Today, I am excited to bring on my good friend, Denise Devonish. We talked about having this conversation on a much wider level. We have these conversations quite often as friends, which I'm so grateful that we're able to do and have these candid discussions, but we thought we would bring it to this platform to be hopefully helpful and insightful to all of you. Denise owns DMD Health and Safety Training Services. She's been working in the Gainesville area since 1996. She has a bachelor's degree in behavioral analysis and a master's degree in special education from the University of Florida. Denise brings a wonderfully diverse background to this discussion. She grew up in Barbados and moved to the U.S. at the age of 19, which she'll talk about in the episode. And she was able to experience what social inequality, social injustices look like both in her home country and here. So you'll hear her talk about that and also her advice for how we move forward, her hope for what it will look like when we do get more in the proactive process of moving forward. And I encourage you to share this because her insights are extremely valuable. Enjoy. All right. I am so excited to be on this podcast episode with my good friend, Denise Devonish. She has been on before, but we talked about Surrender Gym. So we're obviously switching it up this time and talking about social injustices and inequalities, a really important topic. This is a good follow-up to my friends, Deanna and Lakita that we just had on. So thank you so much for being here, Denise. I am highly honored, Claudia, to be here with you. Yes. So I really want to dig into mostly your experience, but also your advice, because I think a lot of us have a hard time having this conversation, but we also have a hard time empathizing because we feel like we don't have your experience. And sometimes we even maybe make up stories in our head about what your experience might be. So I want to start with this Brene Brown quote as we dive in. And it says, in order to empathize with someone's experience, You must be willing to believe them as they see it and not how you imagine their experience to be. So I want to use that as a lead in um, to what really is your experience as a dark skinned woman in the U.S. um, and also sharing your background. So a lot of people who are listening may not know who you are. So share a little bit about your background and then how this quote sort of ties into your own experience. Okay. well, I am living in Gainesville. I originally was born and raised in Barbados and came to the U.S. at the age of 19 at, in, to live in my, to go to school in Miami. Now, as most people know, Miami is like a melting pot of different cultures. However, Miami was the first place that I was yelled at and called a nigger and spit at while I was walking on the street. Uh, 
truck drove by and that happened. That was the first time that that had ever happened to me in my life. And I remember going home and I don't even think I ever told my parents this because I, I knew how upset I was. So I could only imagine how scared and upset they would be. Coming to Gainesville, which is even a smaller town in North Florida, it was like a culture shock for me coming to Gainesville as a student. I immediately found the West Indian Club and pretty much stayed amongst West Indians for my entire time at University of Florida. But when it was time of graduation and then having to go to work and join the regular adult life was another culture shock for me because I went to work at Takachali, which predominantly um, African-American workers, however, most of the supervisors were white. And that was a dynamic where I, you know, I could definitely see then in Gainesville where there was a racial divide. And I actually worked with individuals at Takachali who worked there when it was segregated. And I was like stunned to know that the, the place was 100% segregated up until pretty much in the 70s. So, you know, recognizing that those things were happening during my lifetime was a, a huge shock for me. Now, now with me having my business and now um, actually being executive director of a nonprofit and working in other areas, I never really talk about things that happen in Gainesville or happen in general in a daily kind of way because I've always felt like, well, the, this this happens to me, this happens to everybody, you just go along with it. And, you know, some examples of that would be being followed in stores, especially if I have a bag, like that is one of the things that is a constant. And it was just like, you know, whatever that happens. Um, Clyde, I told you about an incident that happened at UF where when I was a student, I, my roommate and I had bought a moped and did not know that we were supposed to get a tag. The moped had a tag on it, but it was an expired tag. And I came out of class, went to get my moped, and there were a couple cops standing up. And I went to get, you know, and I was like, oh, went past the cops with a moped, and immediately was asked, is this yours? I was like, yes. And they're like, where did you steal it from? I'm like, I didn't steal it. I bought it. And they're like, well, this is not registered to you. And this whole thing, they're like, started questioning me, asking me for my driver's license, which I didn't have on me. In a span of about 20 minutes, there were like six cop cars. So I was like freaking out because here I am, international student, thinking, oh my God, I'm going to get deported and my parents are going to kill me when I get deported because of how much they've given up for me to come to the U.S. to study. And, you know, just absolutely petrified and not knowing why there were like 10 to 12 cops for just me on a moped that I had bought from a store, not even from an individual. So eventually it, the, it came down to what type of ticket I was going to get. And I will never forget this because it was one black cop and all the other cops were white or other nationalities. And the one white cop looked at the black cop and asked, asked him, what do you want to give her? Expired tag or no tag? And he, the black cop said to the white cop, whichever one is more expensive. And when I left, I mean, I walked home because I didn't even want to see that moped anymore. I walked home like 
so confused that number one, why was why did they have to ask the black cop a question? Mm-hmm. And number two, why did he choose to give me the most expensive of the two tickets? So I leave that question for the public or for people to try to wonder themselves because I to this day don't know the answer. You know, I there's a lot of different speculative things I could come up with, but it, it happened. You know, I had West Indian friends and while I was in college at UF, he, one friend, he had bought a Mustang. He saved up forever to buy this old Mustang, but he was so proud of his Mustang. And we were waiting a Saturday for them to come over for us to play dominoes. And back then you didn't have cell phones. So, you know, you were like two hours later, they show up and it was him and two other friends. And they came in with tears in their eyes and they were like, what happened? And they were like, we got stopped by the cops and they told us that, we had stolen the car. They had mm-hmm. us all out. They frisked all of us. And it was only because the, the cops told them no black guy should be able to afford a Mustang. Mm-hmm. So all of us are West Indian. They were from the Bahamas. This had never happened to us in our country. Not to say that racism doesn't happen in the islands, but that particular sort of stuff where you're picked on just based on the color of your skin had never happened. You know, but become then you know leaving college life and then going into adult working life those kind of things just is sad to say but it just became like okay this stuff happens Mm -hmm. you know and then this year with all of the things that came out on, on the news and the video recordings of stuff and you know people got really People saw it. A lot of people have seen it for the first time. A lot of people are black. This is not some. This is not a first time thing. But one of the things that I really want to get out to people, especially my white friends, is that yes, you see the worst of the stuff with the police brutality or people in the guy at Central Park and that kind of stuff. But what you don't recognize is that little things happen every single day and it is not just to black males it is to black females it's to anybody's darker skin and that you we anyone who's darker skin you just go along with this is what happens and you know this is the first time in my life at the age of 48 that I have finally have the courage to speak out about things and to speak and to talk to my white friends about things that have happened to me. And I have, you know, a question like why I haven't before, but I realized I hadn't before because I never had, I never had support and support Mm -hmm. meaning other black people doing the same thing. So I was not, I'm not out of the norm anymore. Like I have a support system because there's a whole lot of us that are now finding the courage to do it. Mm -hmm. And it, I don't, I'm not scared anymore to, to say things. And not that, you know, to you, Claudia, to any of our other friends, I've never been scared to talk about stuff, but now I can talk to other people mm-hmm. about it and not feel scared because I know they're hearing these similar conversations amongst their other friends. So that has been huge for me, like just having the courage because I've always worried that if I speak out against things with my business, is that going to hurt my business? Am I going to lose um, business opportunities because I'm speaking out against things that are happening to me? Mm-hmm. Which makes no sense when I say when I actually say mm-hmm. those words, but those are the thoughts. But now I'm at the point in my life where it's like, well, I rather not go in your house and teach your family, or I rather not come to your business and teach you if you don't like me 
for who I am. Mm -hmm. Or if you judge me and think that I'm a thief or think anything negative of me just based on my skin color. Mm -hmm. So I am, I don't even want to say willing. I really don't care if I lose your business, Mm -hmm. to be honest. And I can tell you from deep within that four months ago, I would never have said that Mm -hmm. because I felt that, well, I got to need everybody's business. You know, even if you don't, like me for my skin color like the next person for their skin color and now realizing that I was selling myself short Mm -hmm. you know so that has been huge growth for me you know now to speak to like a lot of my white friends like you know a lot of my friends have been marching a lot of my friends have been very angry on social media posts and I understand your anger and I understand why you march but you're like I've been telling a lot of people anger and marching doesn't help me Mm -hmm. it doesn't help your friends or your your workmates what we need you to do is to speak out against things when you see it actually happening like stop people in their tracks when they make comments or when they when you go to a store Notice that somebody's being followed because I can bet you if you go to you, if you start looking for it, you'll see it, you know, and call that person out because the minute that I do it, I am considered an angry black woman and I'm, I'm not even listened to, Mm -hmm. you know, but the minute somebody else does it, then you actually listen to because you're valued more and that's okay if you're valued more at that point in time, because it is what it is. But at least then you're letting people around, you know, that no, this is not okay. Because when you're silent, it means you're accepting it. And I know that's hard to understand, but that is what it means. The other thing I would say is please stop telling people I don't see color. That is one of the most hurtful things to tell someone of darker that you don't see color because literally what you're telling them is that you don't see them. Mm-hmm. You know, because... It is when you don't see color is it is an indirect way of pretending that everything's okay. The struggles aren't happening. Exactly. That you're just like me. We're good. Mm -hmm. You know, but you've got to see it to understand it. You got to see it to first recognize that there is an issue and then talk to them to figure to find out what it is and realize that color in this world is not just a U.S. thing. Color in this world makes a huge difference. Yes, it should not, but it is what it is. And we're that's what we're fighting for, all of us, to get rid of that color differentiation or different shades of or passing as white, you know, that kind of stuff. And so, you know, I have a lot of white friends and I've had some come to Jesus talks with them recently, these past couple of weeks. And I have to say that I've been really pleased and feel very hopeful with the responses and the interaction I've gotten from them and especially that so many of them have listened to start to get it you know because the the general response I got from a lot of friends initially was I didn't know Denise Mm -hmm. I'm like well just imagine all the black friends you got they're just like me this is just just not a me thing so yeah, I think there's so many good points here. I think there's just so much we don't know. And before before this incident, we 
weren't asking questions. And I think now we're asking questions and that's like the platforms that are coming out. And yes, even having this conversation is like, okay, now I can at least admit that I don't know. And that will then open the door to like, okay, well, what is your experience? And can I just be open enough to accept that that really is your experience and not have to judge it or, or say that, no, that's not really what happened. You were looking for, you know, it to be a racism thing. And, you know, and then I think about a lot of the things that, you know, maybe even myself and many of our friends think, which is, well, this doesn't apply to me because, you know, like, look, I'm in an interracial marriage and I, you know, and I have black friends and we're good friends and my first best friend was black. And so I'm, I'm good. So, you know, this is not my issue. Let's move along when, like you said, it's not the relational excuse is not sufficient to be a solution to a problem. Like I'm great. I'm glad that you have black friends, but that doesn't mean that you're an active participant in the solution. And then you and I even talked about a recent conversation that came up with somebody telling me, you know, in a very socially unjust way that, oh, you know, this, you know, well, this is a safe area because it's primarily white. So I don't have to worry about break-ins and me being frozen, not even knowing what to say, because I don't, I'm, I don't feel like I'm confrontational in general. I mean, if something is extreme, maybe I am, you know, but then I think, well, what if that was against like my son or what if it was against my husband right. and I felt more invested in that conversation and more emotional about what she said, would I have spoken up? And so it really made me think that day and we talked about it and, and I really thought more about how many times are things said to me and I just, it, I don't, I don't. I don't feel good about them being said to me and I don't feel that way, but I'm also not saying anything to that person. And what if it became uncomfortable for that person to, to, to say that and then they start having to, maybe that makes them rethink how they think. You know, Maybe this is ingrained in them from a child and they haven't had the opportunity to rethink their thought patterns. And what if I could be a stimulus to that by speaking up? And how what would that look like? And so I started really thinking, well, will that look like the next time that happens to me? Because it surely will. You know, mm-hmm. we talk about social media influencers, like that's a normal discussion. Well, we can all be influencers in our normal everyday life. You know, if we can even just influence one person to even just rethink. It doesn't have to be, you know, on a large scale, like you mentioned with the protesting or even, you know, we don't necessarily all have platforms like, you know, being invited to, you know, political parties or whatever. Mm-hmm. But even in our day-to-day life, those can be big impacts. So you're really involved as a business owner in the business world and talking to business owners. What are some of your thoughts on, um, on, you know, the, the topic of diversity and inclusion and and equality and how to start those conversations within, within businesses. So there's a lot of different dynamics with this. There is when you have, um, professional, you have employees that, you are talking to and you interact with and you love and there you have a great relationship with them but yet you don't understand their side of it because your clientele is predominantly white so you might have uh someone who's black working in a for a company or for a business but the, all of their co-workers are white and all the clientele are white that is a big thing and there's a, first of all, I would say to business owners is talk to your employees about what it feels like. And without having the defensiveness of, 
well, I'm not trying to do this or, you know, I'm not, I'm not prejudiced or I'm not racist or anything. Just don't even have those feelings. Just going and going raw and ask them to be raw back to you. You're not there to even answer. You're just there to listen. And one, and this is a hard one for employers and for business owners, but if your employee tells you that I was with this client and this client treated me this way, you got to pick up the nerve to be able to say, you know what, if you're depending on where your heart is and where your, what your standards are and what you really like, don't say it and don't act it. So if you're saying that black lives matter and you are very much about equality and equity and you know, like everybody's being regarded the same, then if an employee tells you, well, this person was this way with me and this is what this person said. It's how this person was like treating me. Be willing to give mm-hmm. up that client mm-hmm. and be like, you know, and just be honest with them. Like, I'm sorry, but we just can't be re- respect our employee employees. And you, you, you gotta be willing to do that. And then that is hard for people. It was the same way with me where I was afraid to come out against things right. because I didn't want to lose clients, but you can't speak it and don't do it. Now on the flip side for people who hire um, a lot of individuals who are African-American, I would say, look at your pay scales, look, look and see, or am I paying them a living wage? You know, like, how can I help? How can I get past this, you know, where everybody quote unquote, like everybody's like, oh, they're on welfare and they're, they got to do this and they got to do that. Well, like, well, how do I, how can I make a difference? Mm-hmm. The biggest way to make a difference to people is pay them more. Mm-hmm. That is, you know, and that is unfortunately one of the areas where you'll see it in a lot of care, um, care jobs, like any, any job where it's taking care of people or cleaning care, take care of people and clean it or where the wages are lower paid, but where the predominantly um, the, the workers, employees are black mm-hmm. and you just, you just, you, you, when you want to make a difference, you got do the things to make a difference. Don't just speak it. Mm-hmm. And so the other, like there's so much to that employers can do, but the biggest thing is just like starting from scratch where you've got to admit that, oh my God, I just never thought of these things or I just never recognized them because it never affected me. Like you've got to, you got to have your own come to Jesus moment and you got to accept it and not beat your, beat yourselves up about it. Like, you know, you just got to be like, okay, I didn't know better. Now I know better. I do better. You know, just my Angelo said, you just, you got to do that, but you've got to start, you've got to look within yourself first and you've got to be receptive to hearing the truth on how your employees view you you know and and not get take it personal Mm -hmm. you just got to take it as okay these are things i need to improve on but this is all being said if your purpose is about equality if you know if it isn't then you're not gonna do it Mm -hmm. and i'm old enough to recognize that there's that's gonna happen Mm -hmm. but you've it's a lot of mindset changing and a lot of then actions that have to happen 
to for change to happen so like for business owners look at your friends talk to your friends that you have that are that are are darker and ask them what's going on talk to your employees sometimes it is it is hard for your employees to be honest with you because they don't trust you right and they're afraid that and they're it'll afraid of repercussions be, right. and they're afraid that you'll take it personal because you take stuff personal and a lot of us do so but you know if you have to bring somebody else in to talk to them for you and then get the input then that's fine that's but if you want the truth you got to go about the ways to get the truth you can't a lot of us tend to go into stuff wanting to hear what we want to hear because mm-hmm. we want to think that we're doing really good and not to say that you aren't in some aspects but in a lot of aspects we aren't either Mm -hmm. so if if our you know it all goes back to what's your goal Mm -hmm. whatever is your goal whatever is your purpose your true purpose is what you're going to search for so if your goal is to make it look like i'm doing something you're not going to go deep because you you just got to do the superficial if your purpose and your goal is to do something and to make a change and make a difference in the people's lives that you are directly involved with, then you will go deep. Then Mm -hmm. you will search deep within you too. You know, like a lot of people I've seen want to change the world and want this to happen outside and that to happen outside, but they're not willing to change their world. Mm -hmm. You got to change your inner world first, your inner world, your friends, your family and your work environment. Those are the places you are the most. So you start there and the world, if everybody starts in their little world, mm-hmm. guess what? All these worlds overlap. Right. And then the big world gets affected. But you can't change the big world to do the, do the hard work in the little, in, in your immediate world. Right. And I feel like even just starting with yourself, you know, like, yeah. I think everybody wants to take action immediately, but we're not okay. We're not, we don't even have a full understanding and alignment ourselves with where we're at, what we don't know. And so it really like starts as small as ourselves, which is really yes. big, but ourselves and then, and then the, the outward. And it really kind of makes me think of, you know, knowledge on ice and ignorance on fire. So we can, we can know a lot and understand it and do nothing with it, or we can be ignorant and not seek out the understanding, but then be on fire with our actions that are not of based out of knowledge they're based out of ignorance or we can try to marry those and be knowledge on fire like understand it and then take action from that place and so i think that just understanding those pieces um but then you know also quieting there's so much noise there's so much like this this business is doing this should i do that you know this person's doing that and it's not everybody's place to do everything right but you can do the right thing in your own world, but you've got to get quiet enough to know what that even is for yourself. Right. You've got to go through a lot of listening and then quiet time. And it, it kind of goes back to when we were in Surrender Gym. A big part of Surrender Gym was being at peace and having time for stuff to process. And that is where I think a lot of us have lost track, especially with this right now, is that we're so infuriated with things that are that we're seeing and realizing, especially when we're talking to people and realize, oh my God, this happens. I want to do this, this, and this. But you're just follow. You're just going on like, okay, this person is doing this, and so then I want to do that too. No, like get it in. Take some time, let it process. And when I say let it process, it could mean alone or even with one or two other friends, like talking back and forth, like oh my God, you know, or with your significant other, and then recognizing I don't have to do all the things, but these are some things that I can do and I can do them really well. Mm -hmm. 
because when like we all know especially for business owners when you try to do all the things then none of the things are done well and everything is just surface Mm -hmm. you know so you it is it is really easy right now to want to correct everything immediately and demand justice and go out you know like stomping your feet and yelling and stuff that it, because of the infuri because you're so infuriated and so angry but honestly the real changes happen when you can process and you're coming at it from a space of being calm enough to process mm-hmm. and not reactive right you know you, i mean just thinking about the the lead you know like who do we look up to as leaders who were effective you know i mean we think about Martin Luther King, we think about Gandhi, you know, we think like, who, who were the people that made the biggest impacts? And they weren't necessarily the loudest and the ones that called war immediately, you know? Right. It, it, so who are we modeling after as leaders? Yeah, you know, and I I love Maya Angelou and I love Bob Marley. And if you, you know, Bob Marley's songs are written most in the 70s. And if you go back and listen to a lot of his songs, it is literally about a lot of stuff happening now. Because the stuff happening now is no different than what has always happened Mm -hmm. is just now. And I think a lot of us because of COVID, because we were home. So when things got, and obviously because of, you know, fancy cell phones, now that we can actually record stuff because that never happened before you needed immediate. So there's proof. There's there's immediate proof. Yeah. But because we were home and we were at a place where everybody's a lot more, watching social media on social media in general but we're also at a place where being home or life in a sense was quieter so these things weren't just passing through and then you had to go do stuff these things were passing through coming through and then you could go research Mm -hmm. you had time to research stuff and then you're like oh my god well this wasn't just this time so you know Yes, 2020 has been a year to remember, but I think 2020 is a year to remember because of the change it's going to bring about. Mm -hmm. In so many ways. In so many ways, yeah. You know, I'm interested to to dive into a little bit more before we wrap up, um, because we don't, a lot of us who have only lived in the U.S., which is going to be the vast majority of people who are listening, only know what it looks like here. And you already mentioned that when you came when you were 19, this was a culture shock to you, it, how how people of color are treated differently here, but then you had to accept it because, of course, you were terrified you would be deported. And um, what what does racism, if it you know if it's even a significant part of the culture, what does that look like in Barbados? Like, how is it different? So in the islands, the we're most all of us are predominantly black. I think Barbados is like ninety five percent black. Racism exists like you don't know. It is just such a matter of fact thing because literally most of the white people who are there are descendants from plantation owners Mm -hmm. so when you have that dynamic to begin with that is also not just the slavery aspect of it but is the money aspect of it Mm -hmm. so yes politicians are black yes you know when you walk around that's pretty much what you see and everybody what you just assume is a tourist for a tourist visiting <laughs> that's mm-hmm. the assumption but i can tell you like in barbados like when i the first time i was around someone white was when i went to secondary school mm-hmm. i was 11 wow 
you know, I, at my primary school, which is elementary school, I was the odd duck because I had pretty hair, quote unquote, because my mom is Indian. So like I stood out, mm. you know, so it, you just, white kids don't come to the public primary schools doesn't happen and even even without you knowing a white person there was an understood it's just understood. that was just the way yeah. you you knew it to be without having to see it yeah you we didn't like you know there are certain places that you just didn't go there are certain nightclubs and stuff you didn't go and did you learn about that stuff from friends? Did your parents, like, no, when you grew up... I never up, had to talk. <laughs> it just was, it, it was, is. It just was. Yeah, it just was. And yes, it is, things have assimilated a lot more than from when, when I was a kid. But I mean, right now, because of the stuff happening here, a lot of things are happening in Barbados as a result. It's not a lot of discussion is coming up there where people are talking about it and addressing it and i've you know seen a lot of things that i where people are talking about you know when a business would have like a social or something but only the white employees were invited mm. to this day over there in barbados yeah yeah but there's so you know it was it's kind of funny but it's like back in the 60s when you when um people were like oh we should have separate but equal that's quote unquote what it is in Barbados, but it's not equal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's, it's understood and it's kind of just like, this is the way it is. But, mm-hmm. but so is that now being, like you mentioned, it's being questioned oh, now more because time. of what's happening here. So big conversations time. are starting oh, conversations, everywhere. Yeah. And you know, there right now there's a huge um, debate about taking down a statue of Lord Nelson who was erected mm-hmm. in, in 1800. And he was about slavery. He wanted slavery. He was erected by people who wanted slavery, but is in, it is a big like people love Lord Nelson statue and they they we should take it down, put it in a museum, but not have it as a central spot in Barbados. And people are still questioning why we should. Mm. Like well, he didn't care about us. Mm-hmm. He wanted us to be enslaved. And that's even in a country that's predominantly <laughs> black, like in the ninety percentage. Yes, predominant. Yes. So that's really interesting. Yeah, it is. Because despite the majority. Yes, despite the majority. There's still a divide. There's still a divide when it is based, when you look at it, when you've had people that were slaves, you know, like I can't even, you know, you just, you can't, it's not a minority majority thing, it's a power thing. Mm -hmm. And that is prime example when you've got almost 100%. I mean, such a little. Even the government is black, but. It is still a hierarchical mm-hmm. thing there that, you know, and it, it is, it, it's amazing. Someone uh, recently was asking something uh, online in this group I'm in, and they were asking about, so um, have you guys ever traced your name? And I'm like, you realize that most black people can't trace their names because our na- we took the name of the slave owner that bought us. Mm-hmm. So if you moved, your name changed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you can't. You can't really, it's hard to go back any distance yeah, to know anything. To know anything mm-hmm. because your name changed belong, depending on who owned you. Mm-hmm. You know, and that is a concept that my white friends can't get. Right, right. <laughs> you know, it's like, no, yeah. you know, it's, and it, it isn't going back that far. I mean, my great grandmother was born in 1899. Right. You know, it's, and, so that means her mom 
back, you know? So it's just really, it's not, it, so many of us are conditioned. Right. It's the same way I was, con- I was conditioned to not talk about it. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, it's just levels of conditioning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So many layers and they're all just like unpeeling so fast right now, which is, oh, that's yeah. what needs to happen. Cause it, they're being it, shredded. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, because if we continued at such an extremely slow pace, it's like we would take a step forward and two steps back and we would never get anywhere. Right. Now it's like, yeah, the onion's just shredding to pieces and we have to understand. And a lot of us didn't, I mean, like you say, you talk to so many, you know, white people, we don't understand. I mean, and I completely am part of that. I, I don't, how could we possibly understand not living it? You know, we don't, we don't, haven't had these deep conversations before. We haven't. No, we've never talked. We now, don't know. Yeah. And look how long we've been friends and close yeah. friends. And I've never. And I didn't know about all these things that have happened to yeah. you. I mean, I see, you know, we've talked about some of these things that happened with my husband because he's a darker skinned Asian. And um, so I, I have seen some of it, but it's certainly much more mild than what many right. are going through. But, and I had a hard time even when he started experiencing, I, even in the middle of it was like, that can't actually be happening happening to us right now is that happening to us right now and um and it was and it was like oh and even just the glimpse of that and thinking that that is somebody's entire life like mm-hmm. and you just that you've had you've had to accept it because that was the status quo up until now and I'm really hopeful and and I guess that's my next question as we wrap up is what are you hoping in not only in you know your smaller community but as a as a whole for both you know US Barbados but then also other nations Number one, that everyone can speak their truth and actually listen, everyone. Mm -hmm. And that, number two, that all of the people who, like yourself, who never understood or even recognized before, get it. I am, no, that there are some people that are not going to change. And that's... Okay, that's mm-hmm. part of life. Mm-hmm. But I I can't even say my hope because my hopes have been coming true because I've had enough people that I've talked to that definitely looked at it in a completely different way that after all of this now, they have completely recognized stuff and been like, oh my God, I'm so sorry that I said these things. I just didn't get it. It's like the light switch. Yeah, and so it's happening, you know, and... It, and I am super grateful for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's it really took this, which is sad, but it, it needed to happen at some point. And we're just, thank goodness, it's during our lifetime and we can see the shifts. And yeah. Um, yeah. Well, thank you so much for having this conversation, Denise. I really appreciate um, your willingness. And I'm, and I'm so grateful that we now have platforms that we can have these open conversations and people can start to see the other side and, and not what... Because like, oh, and I'll just repeat the Brene Brown quote, because I think she said it perfectly, is what we, you know, what we think we understand is not the other person's experience. In order, so Brene Brown says, in order to empathize with someone's experience, you must be willing to believe them as they see it and not how you imagine their experience to be. So I think that's how we'll end. But thank you so much, Denise. Thank you very much, Claudia. A huge thank you to Denise for coming and sharing her insights on this extremely important 
topic. I am committed to continuing to have what maybe used to be were difficult conversations, but there are conversations that are necessary now, were probably necessary for a long time before now, but we have so many platforms and I feel like they are best used to host and hold these types of conversations. So I hope you enjoyed this, found insight in this, and I hope to see you here again next time.